circles, right? That your wife makes you put down on the thing. Now, your mom or dad might say, hey, use a coaster, right? Sometimes you've got your glass of water and it's got ice in it and it starts to sweat a little bit, um, which is a weird figure. But yeah, these glasses start to sweat and then what happens, right? That water kind of goes down to the bottom, gravity, right? And then like the water kind of hangs out on the, the wooden side table. So I will just admit to you, before we got married, that was like a point of uh, contention. When we talked about the registry, it's like, hey, I want to put all these cute coasters. And I'm like, dude, we'll never use coasters. I never used coasters growing up. And maybe that's because I didn't put you know, my drink on like a wooden piece of furniture. I never did that, but we, ne- and we never used coasters. So I'm like, look, Alexandra, I'm sure you're like really smart and you've got all this figured out, but here's the thing. I'm never going to use coasters. And she said, okay, we'll wait and see. We're going to put coasters on. So we put coasters on, and then we got these cute little, they're marble and wood, just like everything is um, like Magnolia style. You know what I'm talking about? Um, If you don't, that's probably a good thing. Uh, I get these coasters, right? And I don't like coasters. And one of the things you have to do when you get married or when you move out, you have to build a lot of furniture, right? You sometimes get stuff from Ikea or Target or whatever. So I'm building this furniture. And I didn't buy like the nicest furniture. It wasn't like super nice, super expensive. So, you know, I bought this stuff and I'm putting it together and it took a long time and it was good because I moved into the apartment before we got married. So I was able to be there for about a month before Alexandra moved in when we got married. So I'm putting all this furniture together. The very first night, the very first night that I have my nightstand the way I want it and I have the, the little end tables downstairs, what do I do? I go grab a glass, put some water, put some ice in it. It's a good time. I'm hanging out. I'm watching TV. I leave it on the side table. What do you think happens? No coaster or coaster? What do you think John did when he was by himself? No coaster. Good, good guess. You guys are very intelligent. Um, left the water there. And to this day, there is a massive, massive ring. And it's not just a cosmetic thing. Like the, the water dripped into the wood and like expanded afterwards. So now on my nightstand, there is this spot that I literally now have covered with a coaster, okay? Um, where <laughs> there's this ring that just like went zoop and went up. It's my constant reminder that I uh, should have listened to my wife. I did not know what I really needed. What she wanted for me was better than what I wanted for myself. And I didn't know that. And it took me learning the lesson the hard way to figure that out. Well, that same idea, Jesus is going to teach some people today, people who did not know what they really needed. They thought they needed this list of things. But Jesus says, no, 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 you really don't need those things. There's a whole bunch of other things that you need that are not just things like you find on a wish list. that Jesus is gonna describe to people through two different things. He's gonna have two different miracles and then a big long conversation. So I want us to open up to John chapter six to see where Jesus does this. He's gonna teach these people what they really need. And spoiler alert, I'll tell you the, the, the end from the beginning today. What they really need is not more stuff, They don't need more food. They don't need more relationships. They don't need more of anything like that. What they need is Jesus himself, and they miss the point. We've already seen that. These people have been missing the point, and the problem is maybe as you've listened to these sermons, you might have missed the point where there's miracles, and there's awesome things that Jesus does, and amazing things Jesus says. Here's the warning for you today. Please don't miss the point. Please don't miss the point of what Jesus is trying to say to us. So check this out. John chapter 6, it says after this, which is important, what happened before? Remember that big, long conversation that Jesus had with these Jews in Jerusalem after he healed these guys' legs, right? Remember this guy? He had um, legs that didn't work. He couldn't walk, and he heals them. And then he has this big, long conversation about why they should believe that he's the son of God. And remember, he calls witnesses, four witnesses, He calls the miracles himself. He calls the father as a witness. John the Baptist was a witness to him. That all these witnesses. Now, we get to another scene. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So he was on one side, which is the city of Capernaum, which we're going to see in a minute. That's kind of his home base. That's kind of where he hangs out. It says he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So now he's in these other regions where there's not many cities. It's kind of desolate. It's kind of a wilderness. And it said... Large crowds were following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. That makes sense. Jesus is doing miracles. So people are like, sweet, let's go talk to him. Yeah, I've got an aunt that's sick. I've got a grandpa that has this disease. I've got a grandma who's got this. Yeah, let's go talk to Jesus. So that's what they were doing. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. So this is this mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee and some of these other towns. You can picture it in your mind. Verse four says, now... 
that Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand, which that's important, but then you might read this whole passage and think, why did John include that? What does that have to do with anything? Because none of this stuff really has to do with Passover. Well, we're gonna find out later in John chapter seven when he goes down to the festival of the Passover, but we're also gonna see that in John chapter six, there are so many allusions to, which is, a, is kind of a looking back to the Passover of the Old Testament. That story, when the people of Israel were in Egypt, they were in bondage and slavery, and God brought them out. He brought them out, he had them walk across this body of water, he fed them in the wilderness. We're gonna see those themes come up here in John chapter six. So John is just kind of cluing us into that. Now, verse five, back to the story. Lifting up his eyes then, seeing the large crowds that were coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, so you got Jesus up on this mountain. He sees all these people coming to him. And we're actually gonna see the size of this crowd is not just 25 people. It's not just 100 people. This crowd is probably 15,000 people coming towards him. So this is a big crowd that Jesus has seen. Jesus turns to Philip one of his disciples and said, hey, where should we buy bread so that these people may eat, okay? If Jesus were to ask you, as 15,000 people were showing up to your front door, okay? Hey, fill in the blank, you. Hey, um, what should we do for food? Where, where, where should we buy some food? First of all, you'd be like, first, Jesus, hold on, time out. Uh, there's no way I can feed all these people. How much money would it take to feed all these people? Right? A lot of money. And that's what Philip goes down. That's his road that he goes down. When Jesus asks him the question, hey, what should we do to feed these people? His question is, all right, hold on, let me pull out my calculator. Okay, well, this looks like a lot of people. Uh, and then he says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to give them even a little bit. Okay, 200 denarii. Some people say it means about eight months of a, of a laborer's wage. So let's just call that in today's money, $30,000. Okay, that makes sense. If there's 15,000 people, it says $30,000 would not be enough to feed all of them. Right? If it makes sense, if a meal is, you know, five bucks a person, let's just say, right? If there's 15,000 people, right? That's a lot of money. That's more than $30,000. So Philip's like, oh, we, we can't pay for this. We can't feed all these people. I skipped a verse and I did that on purpose. Look what it says in verse six. This is John talking later. He says, he said this to test him for he himself already knew what he's going to do. So Jesus is not asking Philip, Philip, what are we going to do? There's all these people. That's not why he's asking. He's asking to test Philip, right? Every test, there's a right and there's a wrong answer, okay? What should Philip have said? Think about it. it. He doesn't give a bad answer. He gives a very logical answer. I don't have enough money to feed them. What should he have said? He's with Jesus who just turned water into wine. What should Philip say? When Jesus says, how do we feed these people? Philip should have been like, uh, that's like a you question. Like, I can't feed these, like maybe how about you deal with that? Because I can't feed these people, but you could, I mean, you could do anything. Right? You see how Philip kind of fails this little test? He doesn't give the right response. Now, there's another disciple, verse eight. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, which that kind of stinks. You're known as uh, someone's brother. Says, he said to him, hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many people? How is this going to feed everybody? Even he, he does a little bit better, but he doesn't pass the test either. Andrew comes up to Jesus and says, hey, I got five barley loaves from this boy, which basically what that means is barley loaves are really cheap food. It was the worst kind of bread, really cheap bread. It's like if we were out you know, at a park and then like one of you brought three Del Tacos and a side of fries, right? And then it's like, hey, how are we going to feed everybody? And Andrew's like, hey, I found this kid who's got like, you know, three value soft tacos from Del Taco. I mean, they're really cheap food. I mean, it works. It's not great food, but yeah, three value soft tacos and yeah, a uh, side of fries. Yeah, that's all we got. But what are they for so many people? You see how even that question at the end shows Andrew kind of fails this test too. He doesn't respond rightly. He should have said, hey, I've got, all, I've got this food. You can do anything with this food. But he didn't say that. Now, verse 10, Jesus said to them, all right, everybody, get them all to sit down. You know how long it takes me to get you guys to sit down in your seats? When, and you, there's like today, maybe, you know, 50 of you, right? How long does it take me to get you to sit down? Like two or three minutes, five minutes maybe, right? How long do you think it took to get 15,000 people to sit down? Long time. So this is a process. The disciples go out and say, hey, everybody sit down, sit down. Everybody sit down. Come on in, grab a Bible worksheet and pen, right? That's not, not actually, but that's what they're saying to these people. Get all these people to sit down in groups, it says. Verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves, these five barley loaves, not great food, five value soft tacos is all they were. It says, and when he had given thanks, 
And that should make you pause. Who's he thanking for this? Who's he giving thanks to? Is he giving thanks to the boy, to Andrew? No, he's giving thanks to God. So there's your connection point. Whatever he's about to do is God's thing. He's doing another God thing, okay? So it says, after he'd given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Five loaves, now he gives it to everybody who's seated. That's weird. There's five loaves, you know, 5,000 families, right? 15,000 people, 20,000 people maybe. That's a lot of people. That uh, math's not adding up here. It says, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Do you feed people who are really hungry? How many value soft tacos can you eat? I just want you to think this through. If you went to Del Taco, you might say, I don't like Del Taco. Well, Chick-fil-A is not open, so sorry. Um, but if you went to Del Taco today, and I said, how many of these could you eat? This was the only meal you're going to have for like a whole day. You'd be like, oh, maybe three. Some of you guys are like, I could do three. Some of you guys are like, I could do like, a good, the value soft taco. I'm talking about 59 cents, right? Like 15, okay. Whoever can do 15. I don't know if that's true. Um, I'd like to see it happen. But yes, you guys could probably do a lot. 10, 12, 6, 7, right? And when there's, when there's seconds, you know what happens when there's seconds, right? It's like, oh, you got more? Okay, I'll finish that, right? And there's all this eating process. These people eat as much as they want. Think that through. Five loaves, two fish. Now Jesus makes it into how many loaves? I don't know. 50,000, 60,000, I don't know. There's not a number here. Maybe it's helpful there's not a number here because there's no formula, there's no trick. He's not like got magic bread. It's Jesus's power. So they ate as much as they wanted. And then verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill and they said, that's too much, there's too much food, I can't eat anymore. Said, they gathered up the leftovers. And Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing might be lost. And that might sound weird. And then it says, verse 12, it repeats it, or verse 13. So they gathered up and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments, right? It was just the leftovers, just the scraps of what was left over. 12 huge baskets full of leftovers from these people. That idea of things not being lost and being gathered up, that sounds like it's just a detail in the story. And it is a detail in the story. But that also has a spiritually significant point that we're going to see in a conversation that's going to come up in a minute. Now, you'd say, that's a great thing that Jesus did. Jesus fed people. Verse 14 says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, this crowd, when their bellies are full, when they'd had all this bread, and they had such a good time because Jesus provided for them, because Jesus was good to them. What do they say? They say, this indeed is the prophet. Look at the word prophet. Your Bibles probably have it capitalized, don't they? Why do you think they have it capitalized? And that word is capitalized, we think, because it's a reference back to Deuteronomy 18, 18. Deuteronomy 18, 18, which was a verse we actually referenced last week. I had you guys write it down because remember what they were saying last week? Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. And when did Moses specifically write about Jesus? When he said, there's going to be a prophet, not just a prophet, but the prophet, the person who's going to speak for God, that person's going to come into the world. So guess what these Jews are starting to get? Wait a minute. You are that person. You are the one sent from God. So they're starting to get it. Now, you might say, that's a good story. I'm glad they responded in faith. Look at verse 15. It says, perceiving, so Jesus understands that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. Jesus withdrew and ran away. And I say, why would Jesus run away? That's like such a great opportunity, right? He wants to get all these people excited about him and excited about what he's doing. Why wouldn't he say, yeah, I'd love to be king for you guys because I am the king. I am the king of the Jews. Why did he do that? Well, because guess what they wanted? They wanted a political savior who was gonna free them from Rome. Right? If you think about it in a, you know, kind of a medical, metaphorical stance, right? What did the Romans do? They were taking bread away from the, from the Jews. They were taking taxes that they didn't need to take. They were oppressing the Jews. What did Jesus do? Jesus comes in and gives them more. So they're like, yeah, I'd love this. If, if we got, you know, Jesus, the butler, who's able to give us as much bread as we want, I want that guy as king, right? Because they didn't really want him as the king, did they? They wanted him to give them whatever they wanted to give them. So that's what they wanted. And Jesus said, I'm not about that. That's not why I came into the world. That was just 15 verses. That's just the beginning. That's story number one, but I think it leads us to the first major point, okay? You can write this down for point number one. What this is teaching us is we need to seek Jesus, not his gifts, okay? Seek Jesus, not his gifts. And the problem is the people sought Jesus. Yes, they did, but why did they seek Jesus? They did not seek Jesus for Jesus. They sought Jesus so that they could be satisfied again, so they had more bread, so they could get whatever they wanted. And you might say, wait a minute, 
I've never come to Jesus and said, please, please, please give me Del Tacos. Please give me these barley loaves. And that's true. I probably never have done that. Because like we said earlier with the paralytic, right? Jesus has actually probably given you more than he gave them. Probably more taken care of. And that's all his work. But it's still true today that people come to Jesus and what do they want from Jesus? They want whatever they want. Fill in the blank. If you even think, hey, why do people come to church? Why do people come to church? You know the number one answer for why people come to church? Because my friends are there. When people leave certain churches and go to other churches, you know the number one reason why they do that? Well, my my friends are there. And they're following their friends. It's not bad to have friends at church. It's actually a great thing. I want your friends to be at church. But here's the thing. If that's the reason you come to church, because of your friends, and that's it, then you're probably seeking Jesus for the wrong reason. Another thing people like is they come to church and it's kind of like the bread. They want stuff, right? We have a lot of free food at church, right? A lot of people say, oh, I love going to church because they serve a lot of food, right? It's an okay reason to come to church. But if that's the reason you're seeking Jesus so that you can get free stuff or more stuff, you're seeking Jesus for the wrong reason, right? There have been times in in the church's history where um, being a part of the church gave you money and power and status. And I know it doesn't really do that today. But there are ways even in your social life where if you're more involved in church, guess what that earns you with your friends? More respect, more of a reputation. I want you to think, are you coming to Jesus because you want your friends to look up to you and think, oh, you're godly. You're a righteous person. Is that why you open your Bible in the morning? Because you want your small group to know how, how righteous you are? Here's the thing. If you do that, you're coming to Jesus for the wrong reason, for his gift. I want you to think it through. Why are you seeking Jesus? Just, and that's assuming that you are. A lot of you probably aren't even wanting to know Jesus. But if you are wanting to know Jesus, ask yourself the question, why? Because these people wanted to, to get to know Jesus a little bit, but why do they want Jesus? Because they wanted bread. Knowing Jesus might make you more popular with church friends. Um, it might even make you more successful in life it, might teach you a hard work ethic. You might be successful, right? But that's not what Jesus promises. And that's not why Jesus says, I want you to come to me. But don't get it wrong. Jesus isn't saying, hey, any reason you have to come to me is a bad reason. That's not the point. The point of Jesus coming into the world was so that you would come to him, right? He's already been talking about that in John chapter three, in John four, when he called himself living water. John five, when he was telling them, hey, you guys need to believe in me because of all the things I've done. Here in John chapter 6, he says the same thing. You guys should come to me, but why? Why should we come to Jesus? Right? If we say, okay, we want to seek Jesus, not his gifts. Right? Why do we want to seek Jesus? Well, to know him. That's why. Also, we need to seek Jesus. If you're coming to Jesus because you know he's the only person that can forgive me of my sins. He's the only person. He's the only person that can give me a relationship with God. Guess what? That's the right answer. That's the right reason. And Jesus applauds people that do that. But here's the, here's the scary thing that happens in this story. We're going to see Jesus later on. And I think it's verse 26 where Jesus tells them, yeah, you came to me. Truly, truly, I, I say to you, uh, you're not seeking me. You're seeking the bread. You want more food, right? So that's why they came to him. And guess what happens? Does Jesus do this miracle twice? He doesn't. Well, not in this situation. He does in another time, but not to these people. He doesn't feed them twice. When they want to come to him and ask him, hey, can, can you give us some more bread? Guess what Jesus does? He says, no, I gave you the bread. The, the bread was just a pointer to say that you need me. You need me. John chapter 6 is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible where people who love Jesus or profess to love Jesus end up walking away from him. That's what happens when people don't get what they want. And here's the thing. If you are at church this morning and you plan to continue coming to church in junior high, and high school because your parents want you to, because your friends are here, because you think that it gains you some, you know, social clout with people. If that's why you come to church, you will leave the church. You'll leave because at some point you won't get that anymore because Jesus doesn't promise that. If that's why you're at church and that's why you come to church and that's why you read your Bible because you just want to get smart or you want to read your Bible because you want people to accept you. Here's the thing. If that's why you're seeking Jesus, you will leave. You'll walk away. And that's what these people do. These people who wanted bread and didn't get it, they're like, oh, well, forget about it. Like, I came to Jesus because I wanted bread. And at least they got honest at the end of John chapter six. I want you to think, is that why I'm seeking Jesus? Because I just want stuff from him? 
because I want him to fix my problems and make my life better and help me with my math test. I mean, think about how often you pray to God and what you're asking him for. That could be a helpful, helpful tell on what you really seek Jesus for. If the only time you're talking to Jesus is when you're in a bind, when you need help because you procrastinate on a test, and you say, oh God, please help me do this test. I didn't study and uh, All right, if that's the only time you come to Jesus and ask him for things when you're in dire need, guess what? It's like these people. Maybe you're like one of these people. James chapter four, verse one, says that people were in fights in this church. James was writing to people and they were getting in fights with each other. And he says, I want you to think about why you're getting in fights. The reason is because you want stuff really bad and then you don't get it. You want and you don't have, so you murder. You get angry, you get mad at each other. It says you covet and you can't obtain it. You can't get stuff, so you fight and quarrel with each other. Right? You have all these desires that are unmet. And then he says, you don't have because you don't ask. And these people, they weren't even coming to God with their requests. They were just fighting with each other. And then he says, you don't get what you ask for because you ask in the wrong way so you can spend it on your passions or your motives or your pleasures. If you come to God just asking for whatever you want from him, he might give you some things, but it won't make you happy in the end. You'll just ask for more and more and more. I mean, we've been reading Ecclesiastes. That's what that book's all about, right? If, you, if you're in your life, you just love money, you love stuff, guess what? You'll never stop. And you'll just be constantly searching and you'll never be happy. See, Jesus, not his gifts. Jesus is not here to fulfill a wish list. Sometimes when we go to Jesus, it's like, all right, I got like six things I want from you, Jesus. I want this, I want this, I want better friends, right? I want to be more popular. I want people to like me. I want people to think I'm funny. I want people to think I'm talented and athletic. I want to do well in sports. I want to do well in school. You got your big wish list for Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. Get rid of that wish list. Just get rid of that wish list. I'll give you a different wish list because he's about to tell them things that they need that they didn't even think they needed. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 16. The disciples were with Jesus and they kind of fled with Jesus. They ran away from this big crowd. It says, when evening came, so this all happened in one day. It says his disciples went down to the sea. So when they went down to the sea, the sea is at the bottom of this region, right? They've got mountains kind of around it. So they go down to the sea from this mountain that they fled and they got into a boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum. So they're crossing this big lake. It's a big lake. It's bigger than Lake Mission Viejo, right? It's huge. Uh, not quite an ocean size, but it's a big lake. It says they crossed to go to Capernaum and now it was dark and Jesus had not yet come to them, which is a funny line because you know what John is assuming? He's assuming you know what happened here, okay? This is one of the many reasons we think John was the latest gospel. And a lot of times in his gospel, he expects that you already know the story. What do you think Jesus does? These people go across the sea. These disciples are in this boat. What's Jesus gonna come and do? He's gonna catch up to them. And what is he doing? Walking on the water, right? So he expects that you already know that. And at this point, he's just describing, hey, Jesus hadn't come to him yet. Right? So they're across the, the sea. They had rowing, I think it says, yeah, three or four miles. And the sea was rough. It's a lot of work. It probably took hours. It was probably midnight at this point, one in the morning, two in the morning, something like that, to row four hours in a, in a windy time. And then it says they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were super happy about it. And they were like, oh, sweet, it's Jesus. Right? What does it say? And they were freaked out. Imagine rowing, just row. You know, can you picture like the movie? Row, row. And then like some like, figure comes walking on the water where it's windy and rainy. You probably had your head down and you look up and it's this person and you're like, uh, freaked out, right? The other gospels say, you know what they thought it was? They thought it was a ghost. Are we imagining this? Did we, are we seeing this right? Is, it, is this a ghost? And guess what Jesus says? Look at what he says in verse 20. Most important thing he said thus far in today's text. He says, it's me. It is I. It's me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's me. Now, we don't see this in our language, but it is I is a phrase that he's about to use throughout the Gospel of John. It's one of John's favorite phrases because it was one of Jesus' favorite phrases. You know what I am means? You know what that's talking about? If you think of the phrase I am, you know what word that is in, in Hebrew in the Old Testament? It's God's name. I am. Yahweh. Right? From Exodus chapter 3 when Moses is like, okay, I, I get it. You want me to lead the people out, but what should I, what should I call you? And they, he, God said, I am. Call me Yahweh. I am sent you. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm God. It's me. He's not just saying, hey, it's me, Jesus. He's saying, I'm God. 
right? And the reason I can prove that to you is he's going to make these statements throughout the book. And we're going to come across another one in verse 35 where he says, he says I am something. That's a metaphor. But I am. He's claiming to be God here. And he says, don't be afraid. Then it says, they were glad and they took him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going, which is a freaky little thing because um, that might be a secondary, that might be a third miracle. Okay? If they were rowing and rowing for three or four miles, and then suddenly, right when Jesus got in the boat, they were there. You realize that could be another miracle. We're not sure. It might be. It might be another miracle. That right when Jesus got in the boat, they were exactly where they needed to be. But do you notice that if you view this as a test, guess what? Did they pass this test or did they fail this test? They passed this test. Because you see what they do? It says they trust him. When they see him and he says, it's me, guess what they do? They trust Jesus. I think both of these stories about the bread and the water are supposed to get us to see we need Jesus. Just like they needed Jesus, just like the disciples needed Jesus, we need Jesus too. So point number two is this. I'd love for you to write this down. Seek Jesus and find comfort in him. Seek Jesus and find comfort in him. Reason that this is important and how this fits with what we're talking about this morning. We said at the beginning with the coasters, I did not know what I really needed. Thought I didn't need coasters. It turns out I did. These people thought they needed bread. Guess what they really needed? They really needed Jesus. These disciples, they thought they needed to row harder. Guess what they really needed to get where they needed to go? They needed Jesus. They needed comfort in him. And here's the thing. People seek comfort. They seek safety. They seek security in a million different things. A lot of people do it in themselves. They do it in their reputation. They say, well, I'll only be happy and feel secure with my friends if they all think I'm the prettiest in the group. I've never said that. Because um, I'm not pretty. Um, or we might say, well, I'll only be secure. I'll only, you know, stop fighting when everyone in the group thinks I'm the funniest or thinks I'm the most popular or the smartest or the best at sports. Right? You find security in yourself. Other people find it in money. They say, you know, I won't be happy. I won't be secure until I have everything I want, until I'm rich, because I'm going to be rich one day. I'm going to have a lot of stuff. We just read Ecclesiastes. It says, you know, you can get a lot of stuff. That's not going to make you secure. It's not going to make you happy. A lot of people find comfort in their relationships. They say, you know what? I, you know, I, I'll only be at peace once I find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'll only be at peace once I find a really best friend. Because right now I don't have like a best friend. I just kind of have a lot of friends, but I don't have a best friend. That's what I need. I need a friend, a best friend. I need a boyfriend. I need a girlfriend. Older people say, I need a husband. I need a wife. And I can't be at peace until I have that, have that relationship. Here's what Jesus says. Nope, 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 nope. You need me. That's what you need. Peace, security, only in me. That's why Jesus says, it's me. And what do they do? They're glad. They say, yes, it is you. We believe in you. We trust you. And immediately when they trust him, guess what happens? They were right where they needed to be. We even see in the other gospels that Peter even walks on water for a little bit. And his faith kind of falters a little bit. But then Jesus takes him up and helps him. We need Jesus and we need comfort in him. And like I said at the beginning, right? What do you really want? Maybe Jesus has some other things that you should want instead. If you want money, stuff, reputation to make you secure or safe. Jesus says, you don't need that. You need me. Philippians 4 verse 6 talks about peace and security. And it says, don't be anxious about anything, which is, an, which is stupid. And that's stupid, right? If you don't have God, that's stupid. You should be anxious and worried about everything because you have no control of anything that goes on, right? Because the world is just a bunch of things that are, you know, chances going together, right? If you don't have God, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. If you don't have God, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, peace, freedom from anxiety is really impossible. And a lot of people claim it. They say, oh yeah, I, got, I used to be anxious. Now I, I'm free. You know what they're, they're finding their God in? You know what their peace is in? They've accepted themselves and that's what they teach. And a lot of you girls have probably heard that before, especially you girls, you probably heard this before. But the only way to be peaceful and happy is to embrace yourself and love yourself and accept yourself. But here's the problem. What does it say? You find your peace when you take it to God. You need to find your peace in God. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Only peace, only comfort can come from, from Jesus. Now look at verse 22, back in our text. We got through those two miracles. We learned both of them pointed to our need for Jesus. Now this conversation is going to do the same thing. Verse 22, the next day the crowd remained on the other side and they saw that there was only one boat there. Right? Jesus left his boat. Right? So what did he do? He came walking on the water. So it's like, you know, you ever come and see someone's cars out your house? It's like, oh, you left your car at my house, right? Where are you? Like you're gone. So the people were kind of confused. Jesus clearly left his boat here. So 
It says they knew the disciples went across the other side because they saw them get in the boat. Right? This is confusing them. They saw the disciples get in the boat and cross the sea, and they saw Jesus go away. Right? Now, they're like, where's Jesus? Right? He left his boat. We saw the disciples leave. Where'd he go? So they're kind of looking around on the mountain. Where'd he go? Jesus, we're calling for him. And then they're like, fine, he must have walked around us. Right? And then they're like, wait a minute, we're all here though. He would have had to pass through us. This was confusing to them, so where do they go? They go where they know the disciples were going, to Capernaum. So it says, they crossed. It says, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread and the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum. And what does it say they were doing? Two words there. They were seeking Jesus. Important. Seeking Jesus. Why were they seeking Jesus? Verse 25. They show up. They found him on the other side of the sea and they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Like, and that question is not just a when, it's also where'd you come from? That's another way of asking that question. Where did you come from? When did you get here? Like, where are you from? You know, Jesus is going to say over and over again in this passage. Guess, he's like, oh, I came from heaven. It's like, okay, hold on, Jesus. You just, you just juked me, right? Where'd you come from, right? No, no, no. Like, how'd you get here? It's like, I came from heaven. It's like, stop it. Like, that's not cool. Like, don't, don't do that to me. Like, what do you mean? Like, how did you get here? He doesn't tell him. Probably because if he told them about this miracle, they'd be even more freaked out. And they'd say, well, can you give us power to walk on water? Because, you know, the whole bread thing was cool, right? But you probably didn't even let him in on this other miracle. Now look what Jesus says. We already read this verse. It says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs and you want to believe in the Messiah, but because you ate your fill of the loaves because you were satisfied. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. You see how he's saying, you wanted this, you wanted bread? Here's what you really need. You need a different kind of bread. You wanted the loaves? I can offer you something else. Verse 28, and they say to him, okay, that's great. You're offering us a relationship with God and God will set a seal on us and oh, eternal life, that sounds good. How can I earn eternal life? That's their question, which is the question they're always asking. Verse 29, or verse 28, they said, okay, what must we do to be doing the works of God? How can I earn my salvation? That's great. You're talking about salvation. We get that you're not talking about bread anymore. Um, great, what can I do to earn my salvation? That's the question they asked Jesus. How do you think Jesus responds to that? He says, there's just one thing you have to do to work, okay? and it's not work. Your work is to believe. That's what he says. Verse 29, he says, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent right? Which is like, oh, another letdown. Like, okay, no, but like, give us a list of rules. Like, if you just give us some list of rules, we can follow those. It's like uh, when I was putting those uh, nightstands together from Target and Ikea and stuff, I needed the whole list of, of, of rules. I needed a step one, step two, a very detailed instructions. I needed those because I'm, I'm not that handy. So I had to follow the instructions and the rules exactly how they put it because I was confused without it. It's like that, but instead Jesus says, no, 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 hold on. Put the tools down you can't build this. You, you need me to build this. You need to trust me, not you. And they missed the point again. Look at verse 29, or verse 28, or sorry, 30. Wow, wrong way. It says, so after Jesus said the work is to believe, they say, okay, this is interesting. So what sign do you do? Right? And a, little, a little loaded question. What, what, what sign? Could you do a miracle for us that we'd believe in you? Because you know, if you did a miracle, we'd believe in you. It says, so what works do you perform? You know, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. You know, that's interesting. Uh, so maybe, maybe I'd believe in you if, you if you gave us a little bit more food because, you know, yesterday it was kind of nice. It's the same crowds, guys. So it's not like a different crowd. This is the same group of people who's coming to Jesus basically being stupid, being like, oh, you know, uh, Moses, he, he gave manna. You know, you could give us a little bit of manna. That, I don't know. I'm just... Just throwing things out there for you, for you, Jesus, okay? Here's lesson number one on asking for miracles, right? Don't ask for miracles, right? Because it's not your decision. It's his decision. They don't even say, hey, could you just do another miracle for us? Like one was good, but like, could we see another one? Right, because maybe you did some weird trick. That's not even what they're asking. They're saying, I, I need you to do a miracle to prove it to me. Oh, and I know exactly what it is. You should, um, you should give me more Krispy Kreme donuts. You should give me more bread. And some, okay, we've been talking about bread this whole time, okay? You know what manna was, right? It says it tasted like coriander seed and honey, okay? Coriander seed, honey, Krispy Kreme donut glazed. That's kind of what it was, right? So you might be like, why do these people want manna so much? It's like, oh, 
I want heavenly Krispy Kreme donuts that just kind of pop out of the sky. That sounds like a good thing to me. All right, I'd take that for lunch today if that was on the menu. All right, so they say they want that. Again, what do they do? They miss the point. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave them bread from heaven. Moses didn't even do it. Remember last time we said all those miracles that were happening? They were not Elijah's power or Moses's power. Guess who was doing miracles? It was God doing it. So he says, Moses, not even the one who gave it to you. He says, this bread from heaven, which is a double meaning, because what's the real bread from heaven? Is it manna? Now it's just a sign pointing towards a bigger reality, pointing to Jesus himself. He says, but the Father gives you true bread from heaven. You want manna, you want Krispy Kreme donuts from the sky. Guess what God can give you? He can give you the true bread from heaven, something you don't even know you want. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down. Not it, not the manna, but it's he. It's the person that God sends from heaven. That's the true bread. What does this person do? He gives life to the world. There's a time in the Old Testament where even Moses recognized that the manna was just a sign, okay? In Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, it's a good reference to write down. Deuteronomy 8, 3, Moses says something. He says to the Israelites, he says, he humbled you. This is talking to the Israelites. And he let you hunger. He let you feel this hunger. Then he fed you with manna, which you do not know, nor did your fathers know. This is weird that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Lives by every word. So even Moses was like, hey, look, this manna is just a sign to you Israelites. You need God's word. Kind of wrap this together. Do you remember what John calls Jesus? What did he call him at the beginning? Right? He calls him the word. Right? He wants you to see, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're like, Moses, when he says, you need to live by the word of God, not just by the food that God gives. Well, remember who Jesus is. He is the word. He's the word from God. He's how God reveals himself to these people. And they say, sounds good. Verse 34, where can we get this bread to eat? Because this sounds like a good idea. We want some of this bread. Like maybe if we can eat some uh, manna, you know, then we could have a relationship with God. And Jesus probably did a, a face palm at this point. Again, okay, guys, come on. You're not getting the point. See, because guess what they want? They want to do, they want to do, they want to earn. They want to somehow make it right with God. If they wanted that list of rules, they say, what works can we do to be right with God? And Jesus says, no, you need to believe in me. Point number three, you need to do the same thing. You need to seek Jesus, not a list of rules. And this is when it comes to salvation, right? What you really need, right? We're kind of breaking it up into four different ideas, right? What you need for salvation, this is point number three, is not a list of rules. What you need for salvation is Jesus. What you need for comfort is not a better reputation or more money from point number two. You need Jesus. Point number one was, you might think you need a lot of stuff, but what you really need is you need Jesus. I want you to write down another passage, Philippians chapter three, verse seven. Paul said he was working really hard to earn his salvation, just like maybe some of you are. Maybe you're in the process and you think that maybe, you know, if you do enough good things, when you get to uh, die one day, you'll stand before God and he'll say, wow, you're a great person. You tried really hard. I saw all those times that you tried really hard and could have chose a bad thing and chose the right thing. I'm so glad you did that. Welcome to heaven, right? Maybe you're hoping that that's gonna go down like that. Paul was, maybe you are. Maybe even if you know like, oh, well, God has to save me. I know that, but maybe like that's what you say, but your practice in life, which is why you have to get past beyond what you think and go down to examining what you actually do. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It's like if you uh, wanted to come after service and say, hey, John, I like your car, uh, that, that 2007 Honda Civic in red. It's kind of a baller car. Um, I've got $8,000. I'd like to buy your car. Right? If you came up to me and said this, I'd say, okay, Let's talk. You're buying my car for $8,000. That's great. And then you're like, yeah, I, I got the money in the car, actually. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's talk. I, I guess. I mean, it's kind of weird. I feel bad selling my car to a 13-year-old because I feel like you're going to crash it. But hey, for $8,000, yeah, I'd probably, that's probably a fair price for my car. And then you take me to your car, and you have this briefcase. And I'm like, like dang, this gets serious, you know? And you open up the briefcase. You got 8000 Bible bucks in there. 
John, let's talk. You said for 8,000 bucks, hey, I got 8,000 bucks right here. I'd say, it's a good joke, but I'm driving my car home today. You don't get my car for 8,000 Bible bucks because I see where those are printed. Right? We just print them out, man. There's this like inflation problem with Bible bucks. Can I just tell you this? Okay. I mean, the value is just plummeting. We've been in a 10-year recession. It's not getting better. It's just, where are we going to bring the value of the Bible buck, right? What could we, no gold, no, no, anyway, sorry. Um, but if you gave me 8,000 Bible bucks, I'd say, sorry, that's literally worthless to me. Literally worthless. I could break into Pastor Doug's office and take whatever Bible bucks I want, okay? I don't, I don't need your Bible bucks. That's the, the car, Bible bucks, not worth it, right? You gave me 8,000 real dollars? Yeah, maybe we'll talk. Because that holds worth and value, and I can take those $8,000 and buy another car. Here's the deal. If you think that your good works are good enough, you might have them all put together in your mind. Well, I do this. I obey my parents. I do this better than this person. I'm better. It's like, okay, it's like you're collecting all these Bible bucks that really have no worth. And then taking them to God and saying, hey, look, is this enough? And God says, dude, nice try, but I can offer you real value, real worth. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. If you want to buy a car, you know what you should do? You should throw away your Bible bucks because they're worthless. They're not going to count for anything. Verse 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not, um, not talking to Jesus, not getting from Jesus, of knowing Jesus. That's the whole point of John 6. They should have known Jesus. He says, the point is, knowing Jesus is worth more than all the good works I've done. It says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. I treat those Bible books like they're nothing anymore in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law because that righteousness was not very good. It says, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Remember what Jesus said? What's the work you need to do to go to heaven? What's the work? Belief. Not just believe in general, believe in me. Trust in me because I can get you there. You can't get yourself there. That's his whole point of John 6. You need to trust in me because I can get you there. Not a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. We've been saying we want to seek Jesus. Seek Jesus, seek Jesus. Three times, seek Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the solution to all of these issues. He's the source of life. He's the one who can give us eternal life. The salvation is in himself, which is why, look back at verse 34, the Jews ask Jesus, where can we find this bread? I'd love to eat bread that would earn my relationship with God. Now Jesus says, look, you're looking at him. He says, I am, also a reference to God, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, you've been looking for this. You've been making this wish list. Guess what? I should be the only thing on your wish list. If you know me, you have everything. It's like knowing somebody who has a lot of things. If you know Jeff Bezos, I'm pretty sure that your, your uh, Amazon wish list looks pretty small. You can walk into any factory and say, mine, 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 mine. Because guess what? All this belongs to me anyway. Well, it's a publicly traded company, so I guess not. But a lot of it belongs to him, right? He's the boss. He's the owner. Right? A relationship with him is more valuable than $10,000. Right? If you wanted a Tesla, right? if you were best friends with Elon Musk, that's worth more than, I don't know, $100,000 to buy a nice Tesla. It's worth more because your relationship with him is what counts because he's able to give it to you. But you have to trust him. You can't bring your money and say, well, maybe I can earn my way to God. Look, I got all this stuff that I did. God, don't you accept me and love me? It's like, no, no, no. He accepts Jesus and he loves Jesus. Right? That's where we need to find our salvation, not in these rules. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, you believe in him. You want hunger, you want thirst. But, verse 36, I said to you that you've seen me, yet you don't believe in me. Because right? not only is Jesus now saying, I can give you the bread of life, he says, I am the bread of life. He's just been talking about giving the bread of life this whole time. Right? Then verse 35 is this pivot point where he says, guess what I'm giving you? Me which is a weird idea. Jesus is like, I can give you me because I'm the bread of life. Verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. That's why we've been talking about seeking Jesus. Right? All that the Father gives to Jesus, they'll come to Jesus. You might be one of these people who needs to come to Jesus today, that the Father has given to the Son and you are being brought there and you need to come to Jesus today. And it says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
Because here's how it works. Here's the order of operations here. God draws people, right? God draws, and we're coming to Jesus, and Jesus embraces everyone that the Father draws. Everyone the Father brings to Jesus for salvation. Guess what it says? I will never cast out. That's not true with your friend group. It's not. It's not true of even your best relationships. You could be cast out, right? It sounds kind of weird and scary, but like it's true. You have, you have no 100% certainty, especially in a world where people can get sick or people can die. There's like not this 100% certainty with any relationship you have. But here's what Jesus says. Come to me. I will never cast you out ever. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is God's will for my life. This is what Jesus is saying, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given to me. You know, nothing except for that one kid in junior high in 2020, who's in the narrow junior high ministry. That person I might lose if they come to me, but, but not everybody else. No, he says, no, every person who comes to Jesus, seeks him honestly, really believes in him, those people are being drawn by God to him. And maybe you are a person who right now, God has been drawing. He's been drawing you for a long time. You thought about this when you were in the edge. You thought about this when you were in fifth grade, sixth grade, you went to winter camp, you're being drawn by God. You're being drawn when you went to Summer Blitz and when we did stuff for TNN and these sermons in John and he keeps drawing you and drawing you and drawing you. Here's the question. When are you going to believe in him? Not just about him, but in him. It says, everyone that the Father gives Jesus will come to him and he'll never cast them out. And what does it say? He will give them life and raise them on the last day. Verse 40 now, last verse. So for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him. Right? You've been looking on the Son. Right? As you've been studying the Bible, you've been seeing Jesus. You've been looking on him. Right? But you need to look on him and believe. It says, everybody who does that, believes in him, will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. I'll give him eternal life that goes on forever. Not only is he going to have this great quality of life in knowing God, he's also going to live forever in that great quality of life. Point number four, we've been seeking Jesus, seeking Jesus. You probably guess where this is going. Point number four, find Jesus and enjoy eternal life. Find Jesus and enjoy eternal life. If you've been a person who's been drawn sermon after sermon, small group after small group, and you refuse to believe because you think, well, you know, if I become a Christian, you know, I really got to give up some stuff. I, you know, maybe can't cuss anymore like I used to. Maybe can't watch those bad movies anymore. Maybe I have to change my, my wardrobe. Maybe I can't wear all the same things I used to wear. Maybe I can't listen to the same music. Here's the thing. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He, Jesus, is the only person that is able to make you happy. Your mom and dad can't do it. Your future spouse can't do it. Your best friend can't do it. They can't really make you happy. Only God can. And whatever thing you think is better than knowing Jesus, I, let me just tell you, it's not. If you think saying bad words is better than knowing Jesus, and watching bad movies is better than knowing Jesus. And wearing bad clothes is better than knowing Jesus. And listening to bad music. You think any of those things are better than knowing Jesus? Here's the thing. You just don't understand. It's a lot like if I, um, I said today, after service, we're going to get lunch together. I'm going to get lunch and I got some options. We can either uh, choose the bread of life. Costco pizza. Because something that's pretty good, you know. It's bread. It's all pizza is. Have you ever thought about pizza? Like deeply thought about pizza? All it is is it's just bread. Sometimes you have a meal like, oh, I had pizza. That was enough. But it's like, dude, you just had bread and a little bit of cheese and some, and so, yeah, sauce. Thank you. That's really important, right? Cheese, no sauce. It's like, well, what are you doing? Pizza's not put together, right? We can say, oh, we can go get pizza. Or, you know, I have another option for you if you want. A lot of people choose this option. Um, instead of going to get pizza, we could go take uh, cups from the kitchen and we can go outside to the dirt patch over there in uh, the planter, we could just scoop up some mulch and we could, uh, we should do that for lunch today. How, how would that go down? Uh, yeah, I'll take the pizza, please. Right. Even if you don't like pizza, we get gluten-free pizza, okay? We'll go to Chipotle. We'll do anything but Chick-fil-A, okay? Chick-fil-A is not open. I mentioned that twice. Maybe I should have Chick-fil-A today. Wait, no, I can't. Um, so it's such a dumb thing I just said. Um, here's the thing. If you had the option between having some mulch in a cup and having some pizza, Unless 
you've got a death wish or you have a very curious palate, I hope you would say, yeah, it's time to have some pizza. Let's go get the pizza. Right. Here's the problem. That mulch cup is anything other than Jesus. It's if you think your friends are going to make you happy, if you think being popular is going to make you happy, if you think being good at sports or success or relationships or money or anything like that, all you're doing is taking the cup and digging it into the dirt and munching on some dirt, some mulch. So yeah, this is going to make me happy. Right. It's kind of weird. It's in my teeth right now. It's like really gritty and it's making my teeth brown and you know, you keep chewing and chewing and chewing. But guess what happens when you chew on dirt, right? You ever try to chew on dirt? Good, never chew on dirt. Um, your dentists are all really happy, right? You ever try to chew on dirt? You know what doesn't happen? It doesn't break down. When you chew on pizza, it breaks down because it's meant for your body. It's food. You know, there's carbohydrates and sugars in it and there's everything that your body needs and vitamins. If you're having healthy pizza, I guess, I don't know. But there's stuff in there that your body's meant to eat. The dirt, you're just not really supposed to eat. So you can chew and chew and chew, and guess what? It will never make you happy. What's going to happen there? You're probably going to throw up. Probably. I've never had dirt. Maybe you can try it this week and tell me how it goes. Um, actually, don't do that. If you tell your parents, John said, oh, no, don't do that. Don't eat dirt. But here's the deal. It'll never make you satisfied. And if you said, I want to live the rest of my life eating dirt, I'd say, you should really change what you want. Pizza is better than dirt. Maybe a little salad there too, right? But have something else. Jesus says, I am the only food available for you. I'm the only food available for you. Everything else is dirt. Everything else is not edible. I am the only thing that is able to give you life and give you satisfaction. I'm it. Can't find anything else. That's why if you turn that down and said, no, I'm going to enjoy my dirt, I'd say, no, please eat. Please eat. It's the only way you're going to be satisfied. It's the only way you're going to be healthy. Jesus offers you himself. He is the bread of life and no one can be satisfied. No one can have a relationship with God without Jesus. Seek Jesus, seek Jesus, seek Jesus, find Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about what God has actually been doing in people's hearts when they're drawn to him. We're going to see a bunch of people who have not been drawn to him and who are rejecting him. Please don't be one of those people. Maybe you didn't, before the service, know what you really needed. Maybe you thought, I need more stuff or I need a wish list to be fulfilled. Let me just tell you, what you really need is relationship with Jesus. That's it. He's the bread of life. He's the only one who's able to give you what you really need. Let's pray. God, without you, we would not even know this to be true. You would probably be people eating cups of dirt, just like the rest of the world, thinking that it's going to make us happy if we just have enough of it. If we just try different types of dirt or different types of things, we just think we'd make us happy. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and showing us that you are the only person that can forgive us. You're the only person that can save us from the penalty of our sins. You're the only person that can satisfy us. You're the only person whose relationship actually makes us fulfilled. God, we know that you're our maker and you're our designer. And because you're our maker and designer, you know these things to be true. So we know you're not guessing. We know that even when I read these words from John chapter six, they are not words that we can just toss off and say, ah, oh, we don't know what we're talking about here. They come from you. You're a designer. You're a maker. I just pray that these students who are being drawn to you would see their need for you, that you are the only thing that they really need. I pray they turn to you and trust you. I know that your, your word here says that the work that they need to do is not fulfilling a bunch of rules. The work they need to do is believe. So I pray that some students would believe in you today, that you, Jesus, lived in our place. You died on the cross for us. You took our punishment. We deserve to go to hell, but you took it for us. Pray that they would believe in you and trust in you. And you'd make them into new people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.